1: Surprisingly, the first surviving mention of a condom dates to the mid-16th century and is in the writings of an Italian anatomist better known for the discovery of the fallopian tubes. Born out of a medical need to prevent the spread of syphilis, the condom was originally made from fabric, normally linen, and later from animal cuts. They were multi-use, not particularly effective in stopping the spread of disease. And, delightfully, some examples survive today. In practice, condoms were merely the newest invention in a long history of contraceptive methods. But how effective were these treatments? And how common was contraceptive use? Did advances in technology come with changing attitudes towards sex, perhaps even sexual freedoms? Joining me today is Dr Kate Stevenson formerly cultural historian at the National Trust of Scotland, whose work as a dress historian has taken her on a journey of discovery into the origins of the condom. (music) Dr. Stevenson, welcome to Not Just the Tudors.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So, can you first of all give some sense of the scene when it comes to contraception in the 16th and 17th centuries? What were the most common forms? Were they effective?
0: Yes, absolutely. As you can imagine, with any subject that relates to sex, our information is a little bit disparate. So we are drawing on religious texts. We're drawing on maybe an entry in a diary, maybe surviving examples if we're lucky, but it is very spread out and we are making connections based on just a few examples or just a few pieces of evidence. So some of that's quite hard to answer. We definitely know that contraception was in use, and we know that for a couple of reasons. One of those is because there are a number of religious texts who are writing about how they're quite angry about the use of contraception, and they name a number of methods of contraception and condemn them all. So we know that those methods of contraception are definitely in use because they are riling up religious figures. What we don't know is how widely spread each of those methods are, which perhaps were being used most. The other reason that we suspect it was in use is because there's been a number of really interesting studies on fertility rates in different groups, in different areas, at different periods, which suggest that there is some fertility control or some birth control going on. So yes, it's happening. We know what the methods are, but quite how widely spread those methods is a little bit hard to gauge based on the really sporadic evidence that we have.
1: Yes, of course, that makes sense. So what were the methods that we know of?
0: Starting with probably the most obvious, abstinence, definitely being used. We know that marriage ages were quite late on the whole, particularly in rural communities, and that is a way of controlling population levels. And within marriage, there are definitely... A handful of examples of people employing abstinence and on top of that there seems to be a tendency to use herbs to promote abstinence so there's a number of examples from herbals of the period and physicians handbooks and things like that that suggest certain herbs which help prevent you having sex so there's an amazing one culpepper's herbal which was from the 17th century he talks about how lettuce abates bodily lust Which I just love the idea that lettuce in the 17th century, very similar to cos lettuce today. And I just love that you're like, have a salad, no sex. Abstinence definitely is being practised. There's definitely evidence that coitus interruptus is being practised. Again, that comes through religious texts, basically saying this is a terrible sin, don't do it. But it seems to suggest that it's one of the more widespread methods
1: So that's omenism by their standards, you know, spilling the seed on the
0: ground. Exactly. And yeah, of course, onanism becomes more associated with masturbation later. But at this period, absolutely, it's to do with pulling out, basically, and was very widely condemned, but almost certainly happening. People are having other forms of sex, and we get more records of that later. It's usually very euphemistically referred to. So they'll say, oh, not the accustomed manner or not the appropriate manner. They're not specific in what that sex is. It's probably anal sex, potentially oral sex, although oral sex, for some reason, was particularly frowned upon by the church. Again, people are employing workarounds, much like coitus Interruptus. And then there was definitely an understanding that breastfeeding had a contraceptive function. And that holds true today. We absolutely know that within particularly the first six months of breastfeeding, that actually it is a very effective contraceptive. And that was absolutely understood in the 16th, 17th century. And women, particularly working class women, breastfed for a lot longer not so great for middle class and particularly aristocratic women who tended to send their children out to nurse basically they would have their baby the baby would be sent off to a wet nurse who would then nurse the child for them so they wouldn't get that contraceptive protection but you get instances of babies being nursed for years and that again helps to space pregnancies it helps to act as a contraceptive
1: In fact, actually, for the aristocratic women who have sent their baby out to wet nurse, it almost has the opposite effect, doesn't it? Because if the body thinks that the baby has died, then you're more likely to get pregnant again.
0: Exactly. And this is why you get more equally spaced children amongst working class communities than you do amongst particularly aristocratic communities. And there's a few instances. And again, obviously... What we have survived depends a lot on literacy rates and who's keeping diaries and what survived, but there are a handful of examples of aristocratic women particularly having discussions with their mother about birth control or about having too many babies too young, so it clearly was a problem in certain circles. <laughs> and then there's two other main forms we see, one we know quite a lot about which is condoms, we're really lucky we have quite a body of knowledge about that, and then the other. It's another subject that we see little mentions of and quite how widespread it was, I don't know. But that's using herbs to either cause temporary sterility, which probably didn't work at all, but was believed to work or to cause a very sort of early term abortion. And there are, again, some references to this happening, usually quite disguised, sometimes in like medical texts saying here's a way to bring on your period, rather than here's a way to cause an early term abortion. But there's an undertone to it. And there's often a warning associated with it that's something along the lines of, don't do this if you're pregnant. But there is a suggestion and an oral tradition that might have been seen as, again, a way of birth control.
1: Yes, I came across one of those in my work on ordinary women in France, one of those instances where someone who's actually seven months pregnant goes to the doctor in order to try and get herbs to bring on her flowers and is told it is not the right time, but evidently is given something from somewhere because in the next scene, as it were, the next time we see her, she has taken medicine to try and purge her liver, is how she describes it. Everyone's like, we can see that you're very fully pregnant.
0: Gosh, yes, bring down the flowers is something you see a lot. And I've got an amazing quote here from the Garden of Health, 1597, and it's one of those sort of herbals, one of those textbooks about what to take when. And it tells you to bring down the flowers, so to bring your period on, take iris roots in strong vinegar or wine and receive up the fume thereof into the matrix closely. So basically what it's telling you to do is take iris root, put it in vinegar and then waft it up your vagina into your womb to bring on your period.
1: And do we know anything about iris roots? So it would be fascinating to know if it has any actual effect. I
0: don't actually know. Looking at some of the other herbs, there isn't a lot of modern suggestion that they would work, but iris roots specifically, I don't know.
1: I would have loved to have known that when I was writing about them. Anyway, so we're talking about contraception so far to prevent unwanted pregnancies. Was contraception at all seen as a tool to limit the spread of disease?
0: Absolutely. And that's where condoms come in. And that's Really, how they come about. They're used as contraceptives later, but initially they are created, or certainly our records show that the earliest ones we have on record are created to prevent the spread of disease. And that disease is syphilis. So 1495 rolls around, and we've got the first recorded outbreak of syphilis. It probably existed before that, but the first point that we've got it on paper as part of the siege of Naples and it's worked out fairly early on that it is sexually transmitted that's understood around that time we know that because actually a bunch of mercenaries from the siege of naples come back to scotland and fight for james iv and they bring it with them and there's a big outbreak in edinburgh there's one in aberdeen and there's a number of acts brought in 1497 which crack down on sex workers and they crack down on sex in general, people who have the disease. In Edinburgh, they are banished to one of the islands in the Firth of Forth, Inchkeith. So there is definitely an awareness that it's being spread through sex. And that is where some of our Italian physicians come in. And the first one to write about preventing the spread is a guy called Gabriel Fallopio, or Fallopian tube fame. And he... Essentially suggests using what we would see now as a condom. He doesn't call it that, but it's a fabric sheath that goes over the penis and is worn during sex. And then he says he's tested it on a lot of people and that it prevents the spread of syphilis. There's no great amount of detail about what he's treating it with or how exactly it's being used. But it's definitely what we would see as a condom.
1: Okay, so I have questions. (laughs) So it's made of linen. Do we know anything more about how it's manufactured? Do we know if they would have been made to some sort of pattern? Are they uniform in nature?
0: No, there are so few references to these early condoms. In terms of fabric condoms, I can think of three, maybe four, in the sort of 16th century, early 17th century, that talk about these, and none of them indicate precisely how they were used and exactly what they looked like so the concept of how they're being used the idea that they're being put over the penis for sex is there but actually how they were constructed who's making them and there are a few vague references so after fallopio comes another italian physician called brilliant name hercules of saxonia who also writes about them, and he talks about them being treated with a solution, but he doesn't specify what that solution is. Having thought about it, it strikes me that they would need some sort of lubrication. So I can only imagine that they're treated with some sort of oil or wax or grease, as well as whatever herbal solution is being suggested. But I don't know.
1: I mean obviously without knowing that we don't really have any evidence on how effective a contraception they would have been I'm also immediately struck I'm sure there were men thinking gosh that sounds like it would have been not very pleasurable but I also think there were going to be women thinking wow that sounds like it would not be pleasurable so perhaps it didn't catch on for a good reason
0: I suspect so the more you think about it the less enticing it becomes as a prospect it's got to rub it's got to be uncomfortable in some way So much as the idea behind it is incredibly positive, I suspect it wasn't widely practised in that form. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment...
1: talked before about surviving animal gut condoms at Dudley Castle. So when did these date from and what can they tell us about the evolution of the condom?
0: So this is where it gets really interesting and this is where we know a lot more about them. So there is a couple more references to fabric condoms. There is a reference in a porn novel actually a French porn novel called The School of Venus about bomb being used as a contraceptive device. Again, they're being suggested, but I suspect not particularly widely. So somewhere in the late 16th, early 17th century, we get the creation of animal gut condoms, which seem to follow a fairly similar idea to the fabric ones, but easier to create and to use. And get a little bit less uncomfortable, I would imagine. Now, they're almost certainly in fairly active use by the 1640s because of the Dudley Castle condoms. So these are condoms that were discovered at Dudley Castle that we can date really precisely to the 1640s.
1: How? How can you date them to the 1640s? It's an amazing
0: <laughs> bit of history. We're so lucky to be able to date them that closely. So basically, in 1980s, they decide to do some excavations at Dudley Castle and they start digging out the 13th century long drop latrines in the castle. Now, those latrines were used in the 13th century. They were then later sealed up and reopened in the 1640s when royalist forces used the castle. So there was a long period where they weren't used. They were then used for a few years when the royalist forces were in the castle. And then they were destroyed when the castle's defences were destroyed in 1647. So they must have come from that period of occupation, which is incredible to be able to date them to a four-year period. And what they discovered was they discovered 10 condoms... They're a little bit shorter than modern condoms, so they probably didn't fit the entire penis more over the end. And it looks like five of them have been used and the other five have been stored, tucked inside each other for later usage. And for some reason, they've ended up down the latrine. Based on the fact that they are being used by the forces, they are probably in wider circulation by the 1640s. Although, again, we're going off one piece of evidence and extrapolating. But we do know definitely from that point onwards that there are a sudden increase in mentions of them, and particularly once we get into the 18th century. And by the 18th century, they're being used by everybody and they're being referenced left and centre in dirty literature and satirical poems and novels and all sorts of things. So they clearly grow in popularity throughout the 17th century.
1: So to be technical about this, these are made from the colon of an animal?
0: Which animal? They're made from a few different things, or they appear to be, and there's a few different descriptions of them. Most commonly, it seems to be sheep's intestines, but you also get pig intestines being used. And then on a couple of occasions, I found references to fish skin being used, which sounds like it would smell terrible. What grows up, and again, we know a lot more about this in the 18th century because there's better records, but it's certainly growing in the 17th century... Is an industry to produce these animal gut condoms. And what's really cool is it seems to be that industry is dominated by women. Probably because there is a level of sewing skills required to create them. So to create them, you're taking your animal gut, and we know this because, again, a little bit later, we've got surviving essentially recipes for creating them. So I guess you could do it at home, although it's quite a labour-intensive process. You take your animal guts, you wash it to remove the fat. So you wash it in essentially like a lye solution, you scrape the fat off, and then they were treated with sulfur traditionally, which probably functioned as a sort of antibactic to sterilise them. And then they were dried in a number of different ways. They were either dried on appropriately shaped moulds that had been greased beforehand or they were blown up. And the ones you wanted, the more expensive ones, are sort of the blind end of the intestines, but then you also get examples of them being knotted at the end. And then you blow them up or put them over the mould, dry them in that position, and then they had ribbons attached around the bottom to hold them in place, or possibly for decoration.
1: So what's interesting about this is that you say the Dudley Castle ones are ending up in the latrine and five of them are used, but... If these things are produced through this labour-intensive process, then potentially I might have thought that they were expensive. I'm sure I've heard that these are reused. Is that
0: right? Yes, very much so. And they are expensive. They are not accessible to the working classes. They are quite widely used by the middle classes and the upper classes, but then they're not accessible further down. And yeah, they're absolutely reused. So what you end up with is once you've been through that whole process... You end up with a papery, fine, dry sausage skin, basically, with a bit of ribbon round one end. And to use it, to make it flexible again, you dip it in liquid. That's usually water. There are some instances of milk being recommended. And there are some instances of people using what they have to hand, whether that is a nearby lake or wherever they happen to be. And that makes it flexible. It rehydrates it, pop it on, do what you want to do, and then you would take it off and you would rinse it out and you would dry it out and you would use it again. And you definitely get people who own their own using them more than once, which is why it's a little bit confusing that these have ended up down the latrine in Dudley Castle. We don't quite know what caused them to be there. It's a lot of speculation around it.
1: Yes, immediately one thinks that they were forbidden in some way and hidden for some reason, something like that.
0: Yes, or perhaps when they were retreating and they were getting rid of, th- I don't know, or they were discovered somewhere and got rid of, disposed of. Yeah, it's just not clear.
1: Do we know when condom use began to be for preventing pregnancy as opposed to just stopping disease?
0: So the first reference to preventing pregnancy crops up mid-17th century in that porn novel I was talking about. Although, again, probably used before that point. But once animal gut condoms come in, they seem to be used fairly equally in terms of the discussion that you get around them. They seem to be fairly equally distributed in terms of whether that is to prevent disease or whether that's to prevent pregnancy.
1: And how did one get hold of such a thing? I mean, obviously, you've explained it is possible to you know buy your pattern and make it at home with a bit of effort. But if you wanted to purchase one, was it possible to go, say, to a merchant to buy a condom or to a herbalist to get remedies to decrease your lust or to bring on early onset abortion?
0: In terms of the condoms, we have a much clearer picture in the 18th century because, again, the references earlier are a little bit sporadic. But certainly by the 18th century, you can get them in barbers, you can get them in chemists. You can buy them wholesale so they're producers and there's a number of big names in their production in the 18th century and they actually have shops that you can go to and essentially they are also shipping them out wholesale around the world. So you can go and buy them wholesale to sell on or for your own requirements. And then you can get them in brothels as well. So they are being supplied in the higher end brothels. Now in terms of the reuse... There are definitely instances of brothels selling them to a client, picking them up afterwards, washing them out and reusing them with different visitors, which is disgusting the more you think about it. They are relatively easily available, again, particularly in urban areas, because that's where they're being created and sold in terms of herbs again it's a little bit more opaque the picture but there are definitely examples there are women who are accused of causing an abortion who went to speak to a local herbalist or who have got poison from somebody and who have paid money for it so there is clearly a transactional element going on there that they are going to someone to buy something specifically for the purpose
1: I'm really struck by the fact that this is occurring at a time when freedom of sexual activity is really being suppressed. I spoke to Farah Vaz a while ago on this podcast about what he saw as the first sexual revolution in the 18th century. But in the run up to that, we have a kind of hardening of attitudes towards sexuality. We have people being even executed in some instances for sex outside of marriage or for adultery. So how do we marry these two things together? And when you were saying you could go and get this, I was thinking, well, you, if you were a man, probably, if women at the time could be punished for immoral behaviour, how would they manage contraception?
0: So the vast majority of the references we have to contraception being used come from men. And certainly when condoms are being advertised, they are clearly being advertised to men. Yeah, there's definitely a disparity in between men and women accessing contraception. And when you do find instances of women taking herbs, whether that's to abate bodily lust, whether it's to bring on an abortion, or whether it's to cause some sort of sterility, then there is almost always some condemnation associated with that. And the reason that we have a record of it is because they've been punished, because they've been tried for their behaviour, or because they've been condemned by a publication for their behaviour. Yes, women are definitely coming out of this more severely. And there is a real concern in religious writings about contraception. There is a real focus on preventing it, on how it is murder, on how terrible it is. So... There is a fear of it, I think, in many ways, that it's going to lead to more sex outside marriage, that it's going to lead to freer sexual activity.
1: Are there any legal restrictions on the use of contraception?
0: Not as far as I'm aware. Certainly condoms are not restricted in any way. You don't get any form of legal policing of their use herbs yes and there is definitely more focus on sort of poison and that side of things and you do find instances of people being tried for taking herbal remedies.
1: One thing that listeners might not be aware of is that the 16th and 17th centuries are a time when women's sexual pleasure is thought to be absolutely vital to conception and I'm struck by the fact that when that changes towards the end of the 18th century Is a time at which suddenly contraception is freely available. Is there any relationship between these two things or is it just coincidental? Do you think?
0: Whether there's a correlation, I don't know. That's a really interesting idea. Certainly, and actually, really interestingly, in terms of sexual pleasure, there is a whole range of advice, which again, you get this a lot with advice that can be taken two ways. You can read it as how to get pregnant, but you can also read it as how not to get pregnant. And there's a whole load of advice around how to get pregnant which involves making sure everybody has a good time making sure that you come at the same time things like that which will help to promote pregnancy but there's also the flip side of that that is suggesting that if you don't do sex like that if you do it in a different way then actually your chances of getting pregnant are lower
1: and one question I realised I haven't asked is about the effectiveness of these animal gut condoms. They may not seem that appealing and they may have been reworn, possibly not necessarily by the same person. And my eyebrows were raising, as you described, the lake. You know, you have to have a nearby body of water for the purposes of using them, etc. But do they work?
0: Yes and no. They absolutely work in preventing pregnancy. And the reason we know this is because actually animal gut condoms, you can still buy them today.
1: What? (laughs)
0: And they were marketed even when rubber came in right the way through the 19th century. You can still buy them today. They are sold for people with latex allergies, but only for use in certain circumstances. And that is because actually they're really effective at preventing pregnancy. If used properly, roughly equivalent to modern condoms preventing pregnancy. And that's only using them once. That's not like washing and reusing or sharing. So very good at that. Absolutely useless at preventing the spread of STIs. They're completely useless. So yes, they very much had a function, but it wasn't necessarily the function that everybody thought.
1: Do you have any sense that access to condoms and, you know, to limited other forms of contraception changed attitudes towards sex that, you know, sex became to some extent, not simply about the purpose of
0: pregnancy. I think it would be a bit of a stretch to make that argument about the 16th and 17th centuries I think that whilst these options are available and certainly these options are available if you have money and you're a man they are not widely enough available to be having a significant impact at this point but I think come the late 19th early 20th century it's one of the key reasons that we get a huge change in the way that sex outside marriage starts to be viewed
1: Finally then, it seems that the reason the 1960s and the invention of the pill was so dramatic a change is not because there hadn't been contraception before, but from what you're telling me that contraception had been about something that was for men, that men could access and that met their needs as opposed to being something that a woman could control.
0: Oh yeah, completely. And even early to mid 20th century, women particularly again in working class communities and things like that, there was no sex education. You got married and then you discovered about sex and you were lucky if somebody explained contraception to you. And so people don't know what's available. They don't know what to access. And even if they do, it's frowned upon. And so, yeah, absolutely. The pill gives women access to control over their own bodies for the first time in a much broader way.
1: Well, thank you very much for this whistle-stop tour through contraception, over the ages, in fact, and it's been utterly fascinating. Thank you so very much. Oh, no problem at all. And thanks to you for listening to Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, and also to my researcher, Alice Smith, and my producer, Rob Weinberg. We are always eager to hear from you, so do drop us a line at notjustthetudors at historyhit.com or on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Not And please remember to follow Not Just The Tudors wherever you get your podcasts, so you get each new episode as soon as it's released. History is full of extraordinary people, the Tudors being just a handful.